Welcome to We Fish ASA, the best darn fishing show on the radio or the internet in the entire USA. My name is Steve Surley. I'm here with my partner Dave Kranz. We Fish ASA is always pleased to offer you a conversation with the most interesting, the most informative, the most entertaining, as well as some of the biggest names in the world of fishing. We Fish ASA is brought to you by the proud industry members of the American Sport Fishing Association, especially St. Croix, the best rods on earth. Calcutta, makers of line of products that fit your fishing lifestyle and passion, and Daiwa. We've got your bass covered. We certainly do. Daiwa Reels. We Fish ASA presents a new episode of our one-hour podcast each and every week. You all know it's available wherever you get podcasts from. We're here waiting for you to find us. It's easy enough. Don't forget, you can always check us out at our website, wefishasa.com. We've got a new episode up there every week. We Fish ASA is recorded in the Chicago area, two locations. I'm at one, Dave's at the other. We package up the audio, ship it down to Land of Lakes, Florida, to Berserk Productions. To the one and only Brad Nearman, our executive producer. He makes us sound as good as we do. Thank you, Bradley. We appreciate everything. On today's show, we welcome Dan Johnston from St. Croix. Love that guy. Then we're going to have on Mark McWah. He is the tournament director for Major League Fishing, the uh, uh, Toyota division. He's been in the business for a long time. Got some interesting stories to tell. Mark McWah. So listen to that and then come back. I will be with a guy I really enjoy. He is John Hoyer, professional walleye fisherman, professional musky fisherman, professional bass fisherman. He catches them all. He wins a lot of money. Guy is really, really good. And he is one heck of a nice guy as well. John Hoyer. But first, let me flip it over to Dave Kranz, who's going to bring on Dan Johnston. Hey, David, take it away. As Steve said, I am Dave Kranz. This is the We Fish ASA podcast, and this segment is brought to you by St. Croix, the best rods on earth. Welcome back, Dan Johnston. Hey, Dave. How are you? I am doing good. Uh, we're, we're coming into fall here, and uh, I know both of us love to, to hunt as well as fish, but uh, today I think uh, we're going to talk about how to tie on baits, whether you use a snap, a swivel, leaders, tie direct, a loop knot, because there's... Uh, the right and wrong way to present a bait in most cases. Yeah, and it's really all species, you know, especially the fact there's so many lines now. Certain knots work with better with certain lines, but then there's also times you want to use snaps. There's times you want to use a snap swivel. Uh, there's times you want to tie a loop as an actual knot. And then there's the times you want to tie it direct. So, and then we can tie, you know, braid to floral. It's not so. There's a a lot to a lot to talk about with this topic, but it's important. So it doesn't matter. It it doesn't. And, and leaders, you know, the, if you're fishing for toothy critters and you know you're targeting pike and musky, uh, you know, for bass and walleye, you don't need that. For panfish, you don't need it. But uh, let's start off there. For for pike and musky, uh, you can't do it without a steel leader, can you? Yeah, you really, I mean, I'm not sure there's ever such word as can't because there's guys that use real heavy fluoro and salt with for toothy critters. But generally speaking, yeah, unanimously, it's a, it's a leader. And fortunately, there's a, there's a swivel that comes with that leader and there's a snap on one end for the bait. And then there's a swivel snap on the other end, which you just tie right to it. So I just recommend, you know, a regular 
Palomar over the leader is a real good knot to do, and so you got to leave a real big loop when you tie that, um, or fold the leader over. Just be just be cognizant of not getting one that kinks. But long story short, you're tying direct to that. Obviously, leader length is going to depend on the size of the fish, size of the bait, uh, and so forth. But yeah, it's mandatory to use that in my view because I've lost too many expensive lures bass fishing up there, knowing what they can do to you. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, one thing I want to mention since you said a snap. Um, on a, a spinner bait's a great bait to use for pike, for muskie, for bass. But uh, don't put a, a leader on the R bend spinner baits. You want to make sure you got a twist in that one, don't you? Yeah, obviously it has to be closed up to do that. You know, and there's, you know, Dave. I'm honest with you. Short of crank baits, and I love them on crank baits. But I'm not a big, not going to say I'm not a fan of, but I'm not a big user of snaps. I type direct. The vast majority of the time. Now, I will use a loop a lot, like walking topwaters. I won't go out without one, but because I'm convinced it gives you better action on your bait. It's just a freer flowing thing all the way around. And another thing I like about a loop, it's a little weedy, but if a fish gets a big topwater bait in its mouth and it jumps, if you're tied direct to that knot with heavy line, the bait shakes stiffer in that fish's mouth and i think they're more likely to throw it where if if there's a loop in there they're trying to throw something and that bait's just kind of given with everything they do and so it's it's really keeping them pinned and it's it's certainly the way the bait fishes uh that loop not on top water is really important i'll tie it on other things too but um i don't tie a lot of snaps to things other than crankbaits at least for me yeah, something that you would have a direct contact with all the time, uh, possibly, like you said, and uh, not something that you're trying to get a uh, a jerk in pause or or something on the top water where you're walking something. All of that makes that makes a, a lot of sense to me. Well, the the big the big thing, and let me add this: the biggest reason why I don't on a spinnerbait is any little piece of metal with any little tiny hook sticking out something to catch a weed and especially where i'm throwing this so if i tie it direct if i don't get a weed over the blade or the hook or something i'm less likely to get it over my actually my actual connection if that makes sense it does it makes total sense and same thing when the people are, are live baiting fishing you're taking kids you know you don't want a big snap on there it's going to attract weeds it's going to it's it's not going to present the bait uh, in a lifelike manner so th- there's another one that you would tie direct on it is. Now, there's an exception to that with me. If I'm taking a kid out fishing and I've got a tackle box full of things I'm going to be throwing, you know, the biggest violator of line problems is putting a night crawler on a hook and hooking it one more time so it's not dead clean straight and throwing it out tight direct because it's going to trash your line. So in that case, I'll put a swivel on it uh, all of the time, a snap swivel. Number one, I can change baits out on it. Doesn't seem to bother bluegill at all. And then thirdly, um, I get a lot less line twist. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, you're right. If you put that crawler and you you got that half a knot there and when you reel it in, you can see what it's doing, can't you? It's it's helicopter and all the way back. And all that's doing is is uh you know, twisting that monofilament badly, very badly. Uh, on direct stuff, you said you'd tie most things direct. Uh, uh, is that on most lines? Is uh, floral, braid, and and mono? Yeah, it's about everything. And I'll tie, you know, Dave, anymore, I'm almost exclusive Palomar on everything. And the reason why is because it just holds on all lines. If you take a fused polyethylene like Fireline, tie an improved clinch on it, it can slip. If you take fluorocarbon and tie an improved clinch, it can burn it. You tie a Palomar the right way and wet it before you set it, it's just 
I'm not going to sit here and debate people on whether it's the strongest or best knot ever, but it works for me. It's easy to tie. Obviously, if it's a giant bait, it's a little more difficult, but you, you get the job done with it. It just works really, really well. If there's one knot to learn out there, if you learn to tie a palomer, you can literally tie it on anything. Obviously, if we're tying a Carolina rig or something, we have to tie the palomar on the swivel before we set up the system because a palomar has got to go completely around something. But once we understand what what we what baits to use it on and how to tie it, it's it's just a it's a go for it knot. And I used to tie an improved clinch for 15 years when I was really young, and somebody taught me that palomar, and I never went back. Yeah, and it, it like you said, it works on all lines, and it's actually probably the easiest knot. Once you get it down and do it a couple dozen times, you can you can almost do it with your eyes closed. Yeah, the key is to tie it right, though, and make sure you're not overlapping lines to where they're not supposed to be overlapped. Don't seat it too quick. Set it down close and then wet it. Um, kind of lock set it that way and yeah it's it's a very very rarely am i breaking a fish off at the knot it's usually something my fault with a nick in the line or not retying enough or usually it's on the operator sure sure how about like for uh just a jig in a plastics and a jig in a live bait half a crawler or a leech that that's something that you you really need to do direct also don't you uh, yeah, I'll tie a palomar just to the hook on that as well. Again, super strong, low-profile knot, easy to tie. And when you're just tying on a single hook, it's really easy because the loop's small. And, you know, the one challenging part about a palomar is if your loop gets too big, and people can go online and research how to tie that, those that are just getting into fishing that are listening out there. But if that loop's too big, sometimes when you go to pass the bait through it, the loop can overlap itself before you set it down, and that's a dangerous thing. That's why you got to keep your fingers wide, spread out, make sure everything's set down the right way absolutely now now a little tip that i'd like to give for those of you that are using snaps and being a rod manufacturer uh and a national sales manager you uh, will agree don't ever reel that snap all the way up to your eyelet yeah because you can put a little fracture in that eyelet and not know it and it can cut your line on the hook set and you're talking to the violator of that too because i used to real swim jigs and stuff right up to the tip when I'm in a hurry and stuff like that. So yeah, absolutely. You know, don't reel it right to the tip. That snap obviously is designed. It's got a loop in it. So it'll hook into an open keeper or you can hook the bait itself on a keeper or whatever, but definitely don't reel them up to the tip. Excellent advice. Now uh, you just said swim jig. We use these in, in sparse cover. We use them in pretty thick cover. Do you use a different line uh, at, for different applications on the swim jig? No, I'm 100% braid on it. Um, I'm not always throwing it in vegetation, but that's the main reason I use braid is it'll cut vegetation and it's so sensitive. Um, and another thing about a swim jig, at least for me, is sometimes I'm getting bit on it way out. When I throw it out and I first turn it over or I'm dropping it down into a hole after it's coming over something, and I, I've got to get the hook set from a long distance, and I don't want any stretch in my line. Now, granted, I'm not using the same braid I'm using on a frog. Matter of fact, I very rarely ever throw anything over 30 with a swim jig where I'm using up to 50 on a, on a frog. So, and that definitely matters. I don't get as many bites on super heavy braid um, with a swim jig as I do on lighter lighter braid yeah there are probably a couple of reasons the action is probably one of them now, on your swim jig since uh we talked about this a little bit here uh weed guard or no weed guard well it depends a lot if i'm throwing it on wood i don't doctor it at all i leave it manufacturer's recommendation now the vast majority of the time i don't buy a swim jig unless it's got the right weed guard on it and i want them light i want the hook gauge light 
I don't want anything super heavy. I don't like the braided hook design swim jigs because I miss a lot of them on it. I want that little surgical needle that goes into them. Obviously not a flimsy hook, but something relatively light gauge that's sharp. But I will trim a lot of times about half of that weed guard off. It just still doesn't hang up for whatever reason, but the fish get it way better. Yeah, good good advice as always. And uh, you know, this is this is a topic that we we I don't think we've covered in a while. If we have, it's it's been a while. I mean, hard to believe. But uh, episode three hundred and twenty three, we're in our seventh year on this, Dan, and you've been there from day one. And uh, definitely always appreciate all appreciate all the great advice that you give. And uh, look forward to talking to you next week. Yeah, I learn as much as I give out, or probably more, and that's what's fun about this. The mm-hmm. feedback we get is wonderful. Thanks, Dave. Oh, no problem. That was Dan Johnston. I am Dave Kranz. Uh, Steve Sarley's remote. This segment was brought to you by St. Croix, the best rods on earth. The Wheatfish ASA podcast will be right back. Rule your water. Rule it with a St. Croix rod. Whether you take to the lake, wade the rivers, or cast from shore, St. Croix provides responsive performance, ensuring your success below every surface. With a St. Croix rod in hand, you're a part of a celebrated tradition that has spanned 70 years. Touch, power, and control are right at your fingertips and extend to you the finest fishing experience on the planet. St. Croix, the best rods on earth. The outdoors is more than just a profession for us here at Big Rock Sports. As avid anglers, hunters, and outdoor enthusiasts, it's our passion. So advocating on behalf of the outdoor sporting goods industry is a top priority for us. Big Rock Sports is proud to serve as the voice and advocate of outdoor sporting goods retailers across the nation. Big Rock Sports works tirelessly to protect our fisheries and anglers' rights. Big Rock Sports, we are here for you. I'm professional angler Kevin Van Dam, and people always ask me, what's the best and easiest way to catch fish? Well, that's simple. Keep our waterways clean and free of litter. You know, tossing your worn out lures in the lake is not a winning move. Pitch them in the trash. Do your part and join me. Visit KeepAmericaFishing.org and pledge to pitch it. Welcome back to the Weefish ASA podcast. I am Dave Cran. Steve Sarley is remote, and this segment is brought to you by Calcutta, an outdoor company that builds gear and apparel for those with a passion for the outdoors. I always like to say every guest I have on this segment, they have a passion for the outdoors. My next guest uh, has not been on, but he certainly has a passion for the outdoors. He is Mark McGuire, and he is FLW Toyota Series Tournament Director. Welcome to the program, Mark. Hey, thank you, David. I appreciate you having me on. Oh, no problem. We've had uh, quite a few MLF people on, and you guys are all great. You all work hard. But um, the success of 2022 and the numbers of anglers that have come back to tournament fishing is pretty darn good, isn't it? Yes, yeah, sir. It's been, a, it's been a great year. I think uh, as far as Toyota Series, what I'm uh, you know involved with the most, you know, we've had record uh, participation this year for 2022, and uh working on 2023 dates as we speak. I hope to have a, a schedule put out late this week or next week at the latest. So uh, I see nothing but growth coming in the future. Absolutely. And I, I have the pleasure of fishing the Toyota Series, uh, the Northern Division, and the bucket list places we get to go to, like the Potomac and Thousand Islands and uh, Lake Champlain. It, it, it's, oh my God, it's just places you would go on a vacation just to fish, and they're, they're good. But one of the things I wanted to ask you about being a tournament director, I mean, you're there in the morning, you're sending us out, 
And then, you know, you got things to do uh, as far as set up, be ready for the weigh-in. And then, like at Potomac, and, and 200 boats uh, plus, uh, that's a lot of people to weigh in. Tell us a little bit about what's involved with being a tournament director. Well, you know, we typically, we come in a day in advance and get the, the, the brunt of our setup. We do that on the front end of it, you know, before, before you know, we do the day one takeoff and all that. Cause you'll see the, the weigh-in trailer there and, and, you know, most of the setup's complete. But, you know, after uh, take the guys off each morning, you know, have a takeoff each morning and we kind of have a little group meeting afterwards, kind of go over what the plan is for for the way in that afternoon and we'll kind of, we usually go eat breakfast, you know, obviously, and uh, we'll kind of break for a couple of hours, go back to the motel, kick our feet up because we know it's going to be, especially, you know, like the Potomac was, it's super hot. So we just encourage all our guys to, you know, take a break, you know, drink plenty of fluids and be ready for a, a hot two or three hour afternoon with a, with a lot of fish being weighed in at those northern fisheries. Oh yeah, and and uh, across the country, the the heat has been a factor everywhere, even in some of the north uh, fisheries. Um, there's so many different levels that that anglers can participate at, uh, from high school up to the top pro levels with major league fishing. And what what a uh, uh, an organization! I, I think it was a good blend with FLW and major league fishing together because it gives anglers a path from start to top. Yeah, for sure. We, we see a lot of, uh, you know, obviously with the high school and college programs going on, you know, that's uh, designated exclusively for those young anglers, but they also, you know, you'll see a lot of them in the BFL, a little bit less in the Toyota series, but I mean, every tournament, I mean, it never, never fails that, you know, we'll have that top, you know, where I get a little more time to, to you know, interview the anglers and, you know, really get to talk to them a little bit more. There's always you know, at least a handful of 16, 17, 18-year-old kids, especially co-anglers, you know, making that top 25 cut. And it just it blows my mind at how, how good these young anglers are. And it's just a credit to, to the program. You know, Kevin Hunt, our, our high school college director, I mean, he, he does a super job with that. And, and these anglers are just so good, you know, starting, starting off at an early age like that. Yeah, not only good at the fishing, they're good at the marketing for the sponsors they have, the schools that they represent. Uh, these young men and women are are learning how to do marketing skills, how to get a job in the future, whether it's in the sport fishing industry or not. They they just really handle themselves well. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you can you can see them. You know, it's how it's changed in in the last few years. You know, since the high school and college has taken off, they just they. They just promote their sponsors. They just they present themselves very well, you know, up there on the stage. They can, like you said, they, they're great fishermen, but just how they how they carry themselves and you know showcase their sponsors and talk about their day, you know, how they caught them, where they caught them. They just do a phenomenal job with that, and you can certainly see a change, you know, in the in that just in the last last few years. Absolutely. I walked around ICAST this year and I looked around and many of the players in the sport fishing industry, there's a lot of art members there. And I was wondering who's going to backfill those spaces when we retire? Who's going to take over for these spots? And and I have a, a suspicion that some of those college anglers are going to be the ones that maybe they're good. They have a passion for, for fishing, they're, but they're not good enough to move to the next levels, you know, uh, but they're, they're good enough and have the knowledge to be in our industry and represent it well. And I, I think that can be, it's a great stepping stone for them and our industry um, that Major League Fishing gives to this this whole game. 
Oh, for sure. These, these young anglers, I mean, like I said, the, the future is just, it's so bright, you know, these with the technology, with the electronics, you know, the way everything is advancing and, you know, these high school, college age kids right now, you know, they were basically born with an iPhone in their hands. So, I mean, just as far as not necessarily reading and knowing what they're looking at, but just knowing how to navigate the settings and setting those units up, you know, they're just, they're just so more advanced than you know you give a you throw a forward-facing sonar in front of a larry nixon sure he's going to figure it out at some point but then you put it in front of a 16 year old kid he's going to be changing colors and ranges and everything i mean it's just, uh, just second nature to a to a young angler and you probably noticed this as well as myself, but with the four new uh, electronics that people have, um, I'm going back five years when I started Toyota and I fished Champlain for the first time. I believe it took about 16 pounds to make the 10 cut. I know for myself, I, I had about 15 pounds a day. I had over 30 pounds for two days, and I was middle of the pack. Do you believe that the yeah. electronics has made that much of a difference there? It for, it for sure has, you know, when we were there, you know, back-to-back -back weeks or almost back-to-back -back weeks with the uh, Tackle Warehouse Pro Circuit and then the week in between and then the uh, Toyota Series tournament there, everybody's talking about Man Lake Champagne is just so much better, which, I mean, it looks better on paper yep. for sure, but I think with the electronics, I mean, there's just a, there's a population of fish out there. I think a lot of those guys were open water just looking for those fish with that forward-facing sonar. I think that population of fish, and that was the bigger fish as well, they've been out there forever, but now we've got the technology. We can see them and, and figure out, you know, their depth and where they're at and how to get a bait in front of them. So I think that's the biggest deal. I mean, Champlain's always been a, a tremendous fishery. There's no doubt about it, but it, just, it looks so much better on paper now. But I think it's just due to the... The technology, I mean, I think it's just uh, these guys have, can see them and can get a bait in front of them, and everybody knows you do that for a smallmouth, and he's, he's going to buy it. Pretty much. Of course, the uh, on these big bodies of water, the weather is a factor, and I know that's always an issue. Um, making the decision of a go or no go based on uh, not only what's happening right now, but what's happening on the forecast. And, you know, you guys are very good about trying to keep the anglers and co-anglers safe. And, and as a boater, I do the same thing. I mean, I, I don't want my co-angler to have any issues at all. And, um, you know, there many of these guys are the future of the sport when you get the younger ones, or there are some guys that just fish as a co-angler and that's what they want to do. And there's nothing wrong with that either. Sure, sure. Yeah, we need uh, we need equal numbers of, of boaters and co-anglers, and, and you know, you hit the nail on the head. There's a I can run off a, a, a huge list of, you know, and I, I mention to them every time when they weigh in. You know, this is one of the best co-anglers in the country. You know, they that guy could definitely, you know, step up to the to be the a boater or, or a pro. You know, and fish the same level and, and be competitive and do well, but you know, just for whatever reason, you know, with work or family or whatever, and you know, can't get away. You know, they just choose to be a co-angler, and that's perfectly fine because I mean, we need those guys, you know, equally. Yeah, and it is a commitment to do it, and uh, you got to have some practice days, and you got to have the time, and you have to have the dollars to stay the extra days. And uh, with gas prices, it's certainly not a uh, easy thing nowadays. Although they're starting to come down, and that. That should be good for hopefully looking towards next year. Yeah, yeah, we're hoping so. I was, uh, you know, touching on those those gas prices. I was just, my mind was blown with the numbers in the north. You know, we were later getting started up there, obviously, due to the weather and this and that. But, uh, you know, starting in the south, you know, we kind of had our, our claws in these anglers, you know, already when the when the gas 
prices jacked up, you know, so we kind of had those guys kind of pot committed, but I was I was super nervous, you know, when we started that northern division, because now the, the gas had already made us jump, it's up there, $4 a gallon, I was like, man, we're going to be hurting up there in the northern division, because these guys, you know, haven't had to sign up for anything yet, but now here we are, it's $4 a gallon, I was just nervous that, you know, the guys weren't going to show up, but man, did they, we had, uh, I think you touched on it earlier on the numbers, 197 boats at the Potomac, and then even more at Champlain, 217 at Champlain, so I mean, that's, it, I'm sure it's hurt some, but you know, we were thankful for the, the loyalty, you know, the anglers are still showing up and, and fishing our events, and we're super thankful for that. The other thing I notice is a lot of pros come from other divisions, other areas, and they want to fish those lakes, like Thousand Islands coming up here. Just about everything else is over. So these guys can come up there and they can participate and they have fun. And, and it's an opportunity for both co's and, and the boaters to, to compete against some top-level guys or to get paired with a top-level guy if you're trying to uh, move up. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's, uh, you know, for a co-angler that wants to experience Lake Champlain or that St. Lawrence River, That's those are both bucket list type bodies of water. And, you know, I did a report after Champlain because I, I can tell, you know, when I'm doing the weigh-in and I, I read these names off and where they're from, I knew there was a lot. So when that event ended, I came back to the office and I ran a report, a report just to see how many uh, how many different states and countries were represented at that event? There were 37 U.S. states and three different countries represented at that Lake Champlain event alone. So that's just incredible. And, you know, we get it in the South, too, when we open up in January and say, Lake Okeechobee, it's the same way. The northern folks, you know, they'll travel down to Okeechobee to get out of the cold and go get some 85-degree sunshine, and it's kind of the reverse. You know, in the summertime, the guys are down here in the south. We're tired of the heat, so we want to go north and get out of the heat <laughs> and go catch some of those giant smallmouth. So it's, uh, it's really cool the way people travel around and fish those, those fisheries. It is, and it, it's definitely uh, fun. I can say that firsthand, and I definitely appreciate uh uh, Major League Fishing, and, and Mark, I appreciate you for taking some time to uh, be on the We Fish ASA podcast and look forward to doing it again at another time. Sure, man. Anytime. I appreciate you having me on, and I'll see you here in a few weeks up at the St. Lawrence River. Yes, you will. Thanks, Mark. Thank you, David. Anytime. No problem. That was Mark McGuire. I am Dave Kranz. Steve Sarley is remote, and this segment of the We Fish ASA podcast was brought to you by Calcutta, an outdoor company that builds gear and apparel for those with a passion for the outdoors. We will be right back. The outdoors is more than just a profession for us here at Big Rock Sports. As avid anglers, hunters, and outdoor enthusiasts, it's our passion. So advocating on behalf of the outdoor sporting goods industry is a top priority for us. Big Rock Sports is proud to serve as the voice and advocate of outdoor sporting goods retailers across the nation. Big Rock Sports works tirelessly to protect our fisheries and anglers' rights. Big Rock Sports, we are here for you. Calcutta, we're an outdoor coastal trading company that builds gear and apparel for those with a passion for the outdoors. Born in the back of a Florida bait and tackle shop, Calcutta was created with a rebellious spirit and a goal to offer hardworking outdoor products at a reasonable price. Calcutta builds the products that fit your lifestyle. We're on a mission to help you reclaim your free time and to declare mutiny on the mundane. Depend on Calcutta gear and apparel. 
Bass anglers have heard it all when it comes to manufacturers having the best casting rail. Well, Daiwa can back it up with the Tatula SV. The Tatula SV has three key features that make it the most versatile casting reel on the market today. The SV spool is a lightweight aluminum spool allowing for long control light lure casting. MAG4Z gives you the option to set a precise casting range no matter what lure or wind situation. The Daiwa T-Wing system reduces line angle and friction when casting. Distance, control, and finesse like no other reel on the market. Tatula, the ultimate finesse long cast system designed by Daiwa. Welcome back to We Fish ASA. I'm Steve Sarley. My partner Dave Kranz is remote. Please remember that We Fish ASA is brought to you by the proud industry members of the American Sport Fishing Association. Help to ensure the future of fishing by visiting keepamericafishing.org. And if you're an industry professional, please consider joining the American Sport Fishing Association by visiting asafishing.org. I am pleased to introduce again, he's been on the show before, he's one of the best multi-species fishermen in the United States. He has won tournaments in bass, in muskies, and in walleye. He's with us today because he won another tournament, huh? Surprise, big surprise. John Hoyer just won the NWT Championship, that's the National Walleye Tour Championship, uh, it's Cabela's item. It's a big one. He won $130,000. Weighed in over 100 pounds of walleye out of Lake Erie in Dunkirk, New York. Did a magnificent job. We're going to congratulate him and talk to him about it. But please welcome my friend John Hoyer. Hey, John. Thank you. Oh, you're, you're, well, you're welcome, John. It's always a pleasure to have you. Yeah, I always look forward to um, when I get a text message from you and asking if you want to talk because inevitably something fun really happened in life ah, yeah without, without a doubt uh, i i would think that uh, this was one of the best weekends you've had in a long time and you know john let's let's get this let's get this straight uh um i, I don't want to be uh i don't want to be a credit grab or anything but uh after the the three-day tournament out of, out of uh, dunkirk lake erie yeah, you, you had a good lead. You had a great first day, and I know I texted you after you got off the water and said, "Hey, great, you're doing great. Keep it up. Uh, you're on your way." And, and then two days later, boom, you've you've won this thing. And and I, I said I don't want to grab credit, but I think we all know that uh, that uh, little text I sent you to spur you forward was what caused you to win this tournament. Uh, you know, and it you know you don't have to thank me, John. Just just admit that I had a big part in this. You did, and I, I would like to thank you. There was about seven other people that went about it a di little different way, and they were like, game over. I was like, excuse me? Uh, this is a three-day tournament, folks. And uh, weather changes. No, this isn't game over yet. John, I, I, I felt you were going to win this. But I held back from saying, "Hey, congratulations," because I've done. I did this recently. Somebody had a huge lead in the first day of a bass tournament, and I said, "As long as you got this thing in the bag, would you join me for an interview three days from now, and we can talk about it?" And I didn't get an answer back. But the next day, his lead had gotten very, very narrow. Now he's second day is only a pound ahead. The third day, he's ounces ahead. It's a four-day tournament. 
I'm sitting there sweating, figuring if this guy loses this thing after I've given him the tournament after the first day, he's going to turn his boat around, put on a trailer, and head towards Chicago, find me, and kick my butt for jinxing him. So I don't congratulate people in advance anymore, but uh, uh, I learned my I learned my lesson, and you, you'd have to agree with that too. You'd feel you feel uncomfortable when people tell you you've got it in the bag, right? Oh, it is. That hard. sounds like a Lake Oahe smallmouth tournament you're talking about. No, it was. It was actually. Uh, it was actually before that. But I understand. Understand what you're saying. Let's talk about uh, the NWT. And a nice payout. It was a great field. Uh, you beat some really wonderful anglers. Um, I think this is a jewel when when you're looking at uh, uh, professional walleye fishing. Are we getting professional walleye fishing back up to the glory days like it was a few years ago? Uh, I think a hundred percent. And um, my my good friend Jason Shakira, he, he said something really funny on stage, but he kind of summarized. It. He's like, you know, I'm super happy with my finish. I won the trolling tournament, and then. Uh, John and Dewey won the casting tournament. So we were literally, <laughs> like, there was another couple of people that are casting kind of open water and stuff. Um, and I think one of them, Max Wilson, made the top 10. But, yeah, we were not casting open water. We were in super shallow, and literally I was having the time of my life. But, but you had the rods in your hand. You weren't trolling at all. I didn't troll a single inch. You know, I tell you what, I think this is huge. Uh, I, I grew up fishing walleye. I probably caught, I spent more time fishing for walleye than any other species. I got a special place in my heart for walleye. I think they're really, really challenging to catch. And all of a sudden, the, the walleye tournaments turned into, to, uh, you know, trolling fests. Uh, I'd, I'd be out, I'd be out in a tournament as a co-angler on Green Bay, and watch and have fifty boats in a line following each other. Uh, and and the boat that caught the most fish was a guy who just had the the, the, the waypoints marked so perfectly, because uh, if you got a couple of feet off your trolling pass, you wouldn't get fish. So you had to be a good troller. Not saying trolling. I don't want anybody to think that trolling is easy. Uh, it's just some. I prefer the rod in in my hand. And walleye fishing started turning into events where they were all won by uh, by trolling. All of a sudden, we're back to having a rod in our hand, and I love it. I like it a lot, and it was so cool to see you win a tournament with the rod in your hand. Uh, other than the fact you wouldn't have traded it because you were so successful at it, do you prefer this type of fishing that won you this tournament? Yeah, 100%. And, um, you know, I agree. Trolling is, um, you know, I can see why a lot of those tournaments have been won trolling, and it is actually an art form. I mean, especially on the Great Lakes when, you know, you're dealing with things that don't happen as much on natural lakes um, and they're not as easy to recognize as on a river. But, you know, uh, being able to understand current and how that affects speed, which then affects depth of your presentation while trolling. I mean, it is a challenging thing to get really dialed in at that. And, I mean, to, in a nutshell, if you see me trolling in a pack of boats, I am like rarely ever the guy who's catching the most. And that's because I haven't spent as much time trolling as I have casting being, you know, from Minnesota where we're allowed one rod, um, which if you're only going to troll fish one rod, you obviously want to have it in your hand for entertainment value. So, <laughs> uh, 
Casting for me, rod in hand, is definitely where I feel at home, and it's where I'm the happiest. It's where time feels to go by at a normal pace or even slow sometimes, like this tournament. Um, when I put planer boards in in a, you know, a National Walleye Tour event, I swear the time is going at double time. So it just isn't a good situation for me mentally. Uh, therefore, that's why I always try to develop some, some form of casting. Well, you're so involved with TV now because you're one of the stars of uh, The Next Bite, which has uh, uh, been on for quite a while now and very successful. Next Bite Television, uh, you're on it with uh, Gary Parsons and, and uh, uh, Chase Parsons, uh, Corey Springle, trying to think, uh, Jason Shakurith and Tommy Kimos are all members of The Next Bite. And for television, the viewers want big fish. Now... You're thinking about people putting this together. Big fish, we got to go to big fish water. What's the best way to put big fish in a boat? Trolling. We're going to troll on Lake Erie. We're going to put eight pounders in the box. This is going to go, and man, you got to do it for TV because TV's asking you for it. But you want to figure out a way to do it the way you like doing it. And you know what? Big fish, are, big fish on TV look good, but how you get them to the boat, I think, is what really turns the people on it. And, and you accomplish that because... You got all these fish, you got big numbers, but the fish were big that you got. Uh, you know, were you surprised at the quality of fish you were catching out of Dunkirk on Lake Erie? Um, I was, you know, no, I'm not surprised that where we were catching them, you know, in scattered weeds and stuff, had the biggest walleyes in the lake. I've seen this before on the Great Lakes, um, but it's just a seasonal thing. You know, it might only last for a month or whatever, but... Um, you know, the, the beauty of all that is it's just still fishing 101 where, you know, regardless of how many smelt are out in open water or shiners or shad or you name it, um, fish are always going to be on different schedules. And when it comes to tournament fishing, more times than not, it's somebody who's doing something different than the field because let's say all 40 boats are trolling open water. Let's say all 40 boats were trolling in the same 10-mile stretch. Mathematically, those 40 boats are all going to be competing to the ounce because regardless of how dialed you have that in, it is what it is. You're going to be a product of your environment. So, you know, that was kind of two-part when I caught my first um, three fish in this one weed bed. And granted, they were four-and-a-half, five, five-and-a-half pounder. Um, but when I went to my second one and we caught a 29-incher, then I was like, okay, now my ears perked up like a Labrador. And um, <laughs> I'm like, we got to sample every weed bed we can find. And after three days of only looking on the shoreline, um, uh, I bet my voice kind of started shaking when I was talking to my teammates, my travel partners, with, with excitement. So, um, yeah. And then, lo and behold, the first day of the tournament, I think I had two that were in that kind of 29 inch class and then some 27s in practice. But my first two fish day one of the tournament were like 30 to 31 inches. And nice. at that point I was not surprised that, you know, if you can catch a 29, there's definitely 30, 31 inches that are doing the same thing. Oh, unbelievable. Uh, you mentioned travel partners. Who are your travel partners? Uh, the hottest stick in walleye fishing, Dwayne Jelm. He's yeah. my uh, partner. So he went, the last three tournaments, he went second, first, second. And then uh, Dusty Mankey is my other travel partner. Good. That's a nice group. That's a real nice oh, yeah. group. Some guy, you got in, uh, some names there that can catch fish. 
Although, you know, they're, they're good at walleyes, but not uh, they don't master all the water, everything that swims in water like a John Hoyer does. <laughs> well, I think it's because I have a little more time on my hands than them, so... I don't. I don't see where you have the time on your hands. You to do this. Uh, you won the Muskie Championship a couple of years ago. Last year, you made it to the finals of that uh, Bass Pro Shop Million Dollar Tournament. Uh, you made it to the. I don't know how many thousand people entered this tournament. You made it to the last day, the final fifty. You were fishing for a million bucks. Uh, talk about. Pressure, that must have been absolutely incredible. We saw that before, but I don't think anybody can come close to matching up what you've done across the many species that you chase. Well, I appreciate that. And um, it, yeah, I mean, without somebody saying that, it doesn't really register. It's just kind of like I've always enjoyed fishing for crappies in the spring, then walleyes when that opened, then I'd switch to muskies till that closed, then risk my life on first ice for walleyes again and <laughs> only fish for bluegills, you know, in late ice and risk my life again on late ice for a bluegill. So it's just been kind of how I fished my whole life. I've always enjoyed the challenge. And in hindsight, you know, there's something to be learned from every fish species. And a lot of that stuff correlates, you know, across the board. So I've been blessed to uh, just, you know, be able to be entertained by all species of fishing. Well, we're, we're blessed to be entertained by you doing yes. what you do uh, just across the board so well. You're, you're such a good teacher and a sharer of information. And, man, you, you are really good in all forms of media. You do great on these radio podcast interviews, uh, but you're, you're superlative on The Next Bite. I love watching it, and I recommend everybody check out The Next Bite. It's on, it's on Discovery, CBS Sports. Uh, the the World Fishing Network, NBC Sports Chicago, Wild TV. It's all over the place. It's been there for a while. And, and you know when you're involved with a uh, uh, a Gary Parsons, Keith Cavias production, it, it's going to be done exceptionally well media-wise, and it's going to have great coverage because they know how to promote. So anybody who tells me they can't find the next bite, man, get your head out of your butt and turn on the media and look for this thing. It, it'll find you. It's so widespread. Yeah, those guys have been a um, huge part of my, you know, I guess I can call it a fishing career now. It's my, it is my, my profession. So, um, but, you know, they had a realization early on in their tournament career when they were having a lot of success. And I think uh, one of the quotes is from like Bill Dance or, um, yeah, I think Bill Dance. He basically told them like, if you can educate people how to catch fish, you'll be around forever. Yeah. And you know, they made a decision where instead of keeping some of their secrets, you know, to their vest and try to win tournaments, instead they thought if they shared all their successes on, you know, an informative format like the Next Bite, that, you know, lo and behold, they were going to have longevity in the fishing industry. So um, I've definitely modeled my style of not being introverted or, you know, trying to keep things secret to a point. And, you know, when you start getting remarks and comments and messages on social media, about like people sending you pictures and say, I tried a Berkeley champ swimmer in the weeds in Canada and I caught my biggest walleye. So it's kind of a fun. Makes you um, feel good. Yeah. It's like an infinity symbol of, you know, give out information, get happiness from other people catching them. So it's really kind of a no brainer for me. Very nice. Hey, let's take a quick break. I got some sponsors have something to say. I know you've got more to talk about. 
Uh, let's take a quick uh, quick break here and, and come back. This is We Fish ASA. I'm Steve Sarley. We're on with John Hoyer. Just won the NWT, that's the National Walleye Tour Championship, sponsored by Cabela's. We'll be right back with more John Hoyer after this. For most anglers, the unexpected is expected. But what you can do is take matters into the seat of your, well, shorts. Meet Aftco's Overboard Shorts, winner of the iCast Best in Category for Technical Clothing. Built with a 100% submersible pocket that keeps the unexpected dry dock for the other guy. Overboard keeps the good times rolling and your valuables safe for the next adventure. Overboard Shorts from Aftco. Learn more at aftco.com overboard. Bass anglers have heard it all when it comes to manufacturers having the best casting rail. Well, Daiwa can back it up with the Tatula SV. The Tatula SV has three key features that make it the most versatile casting reel on the market today. The SV spool is a lightweight aluminum spool allowing for long control light lure casting. MAG4Z gives you the option to set a precise casting range no matter what lure or wind situation. The Daiwa T-Wing system reduces line angle and friction when casting. Distance, control, and finesse like no other reel on the market. Tatula, the ultimate finesse long cast system designed by Daiwa. The St. Croix story has evolved over 70 years. With gritty determination, St. Croix built the most advanced fishing rod facility in the world. And with it, a world-class brand that has earned the respect and admiration of anglers around the planet. We will continue to challenge ourselves, our employees, and our partners to be the best every day. We're proud to celebrate 70 years of passion and commitment to making the best rods on earth, St. Croix. Welcome back to We Fish ASA. I'm Steve Surley again. We Fish ASA is brought to you by the proud industry members of the American Sport Fishing Association, and I am proud to have with me Mr. John Hoyer, walleye champion. It just takes too long to introduce you. You've won so many things, John. You're so good at everything you do. <laughs> And, and I'll tell you something, and I, I, I'd hate to waste time on small personal things, but this meant a lot to me. Uh, one of my most complimentary things I've ever heard uh, since I've been doing radio and podcasting uh, came from John Hoyer, and, and I want to thank him for it now. I was at uh, iCast in Orlando. I was uh, stopping at a booth, and I was talking to somebody. I can't remember what pro fisherman I was talking to, and I got my shoulder tapped, and I turned around, and it's tall gentleman in a fishing jersey standing there. He says, hi, it's your Steve Sarley. I said, yes, I am. And he says, well, I'm John Hoyer. And I just wanted to say hello. I said, we've never met. And he said, no. You said no. And I said, uh, well, I, I said, uh, we, we've never met. How did you know it was me? He said, oh, come on, Steve. I listen to you all the time. I could never misplace your voice. I knew it was you as, I, as soon as I heard a word come out of your mouth. And that just struck me as being so complimentary uh, it really warmed my heart and it made me feel good. And I want to thank you for that, that uh, obviously you were a listener and you pay attention. And uh, you could uh, you could remember the voice of a guy that sounds like an extra out of a, uh, a Sopranos TV show. <laughs> nice. But it was it was it was a wonderful thing. It made me feel good. And I've told that story. Uh, I've told that story before. But you know what, John, uh, you are phenomenal. You won this uh 
Lake Erie event. Tell us uh, why you decided to fish shallow weeds and what did you use to bring those walleyes up out of the shallow weeds? Yeah, so basically I started my day out on some really nice reefs uh, on the Canadian side and I just wasn't marking that many fish. So uh, I caught a couple, like maybe three or four of them, you know, throwing a glide bait out in like 30 feet of water. But uh-huh. um, I was just kind of thinking like, why is this their summer home? I've heard stories about this structure. Why are they here? And, you know, inevitably I was like, well, they must be eating gobies. Okay. And, you know, since I hadn't seen anything out there, I was like, well, why else would they be in this area? Well, walleyes on the Great Lakes, they inhabit, you know, a couple favorite types of structure. Either it's deep, cool water, mm-hmm. the open water fish, or it's, you know, structure with current that has big boulders and gobies, or they'll go into the weeds. So um, I actually called my partner, Dewey, and I was we were kind of talking through that same thing. Like, this is all new, never been there before. Big, big water. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to go look in this bay and see if there's any weeds. And I rolled in there, and within like 12 minutes, I had caught three walleyes and like four casts once I saw them on my Lowrance active target. And, I mean, that was exciting. Now, granted, they were good fish, but they weren't like tourney winners. Okay. Um, But the second weed bed I went into, we caught a 29-incher maybe another 26 incher. And that's when I really started realizing that, you know, this was game on. So um, I, that was the first day of practice at like noon. And it, I mean, right away, that's like a gift from God. Now I have <laughs> six more days to find every weed bed I can possibly find and rule them in or out. So, you know, I basically did it for two more full days, just scouring the shoreline and when I go into a weed bed, I permanently have one lure tied to my rod, especially in the summertime. Okay. And it's it's really simple to me, but it's probably new to some people, not not the fans of the next bite. They've seen it multiple times, but it's a half to a one ounce uh, Berkeley Fusion 19 swim bait jig head with the big hook, the five-aught hook, and then wow. a 4.6-inch Berkeley Champ Swimmer. Um you know, Great Lakes walleyes inevitably are in some really clean water, you know, in their summer home. That's why they're there. They like it. And I've tried every other swim bait, but the HD printed design of the Berkeley Champ Swimmer is literally what tricks those fish. Um, now with forward facing sonar, it's interesting to see how far they actually track this bait as I'm ripping it up and letting it free fall. And a lot of times, you know, they'll go up and down with that thing three, four, or five times. And I think almost every time they're trying to get it. And when they finally catch up to it, it's the same bite every time. It's literally in the back of their throat, like wow. every time. So, it's amazing. Yeah, it's a, it's a very powerful reaction bite. But like I said, I've tried a ton of different um, colors and different manufacturers. And it is those HD printed designs that makes them eat it that deep. That is absolutely incredible. So it worked, and it and it kept consistent for you through the three days of uh, of actual fishing. You didn't have to uh, change much. No, I didn't change a single thing. I threw the same exact lure every cast. Excellent. Um, and that was that HD bluegill colored one. Forward facing sonar was a big uh, asset. Yeah, it really was. Um, you know, I can side image fish in weeds all the time, and I've done that my whole, you know, sure. ever since it was invented. But um, to be able to drop that forward-facing sonar in, active target, 
some of these weed clumps are really thick and it was really fun. It was like hide and seek where you look at them face on, you won't see anything. So you kind of circle around, you know, the, the, the wagon basically. And now you can kind of see in there. And a lot of the fish were literally sitting in those weed clumps. So you look at your screen, you're like 40 feet in that clump. You look up on the water, you can see the clump and you're like, okay, that's 30 feet. So they're actually on the backside. I'm going to throw one on the backside. And a lot of times they literally eat it on the initial fall of the bait. Wow. That is, so (laughs) that's cool. Yeah. I mean, I can't even describe how, exciting and surreal those three days of fishing were i mean it should have been the most pressure i feel through the year you know to as far as pressure to perform but it was like the three most enjoyable fishing days of my entire life it didn't even feel like a tournament it was that much fun i'm so gl- i am so glad to hear that uh go back to the sonar for a second are, are you tired of hearing people say they got to ban this thing it makes fishing too easy you know the musky guys banned it already in, in the pmtt tournaments uh, no forward-facing sonar. Uh, I hear walleye guys saying the same thing. Uh, the crappie guys are pushing for it. I, I, are you ready about Because you're too polite. I'm not going to hear you say this, but in the back of your mind, would you like to just say, oh, be quiet and fish? Um, I don't know. I guess I would never be put on record saying that. You know, I love... That, that's why I said it for you, John. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate it. Um, you know, the, the one thing that's really captivating to me is like, I have been ice fishing for 30 years of my life and people think ice fishing is sitting around drinking beer in a fish house. Well, no, if you stay active and you drill a bunch of holes, we love ice fishing in Minnesota. And the reason why is that was, and is generally the only time of year where you get to like literally manipulate a fish into biting in real time, you know, on a live, you know, flasher unit. Right. Right. So, you know, until like sonar always has a leg. It's never real time. You can't make those little minuscule speed changes or adjustments. Um, but now when you add forward facing sonar, it's basically like ice fishing out in front of the boat. So the entertainment value and the learning curve of learning how to trigger fish is so valuable, let alone, you know, people that haven't mastered side imaging, um, to be able to like find fish with it is the other thing that's so valuable. So um, I don't think it's going anywhere. You've had a, you've had a great year. Uh, I've had a great career. You've won a lot of big trophies and a lot of big checks. Uh, walleye fishing was in its heyday a number of years ago. Uh, uh, at the time, FLW, uh, which is now major league fishing had the walleye tournaments where the top angler got a half a million dollars uh, the prizes are nowhere near that. Nice to see that you won a, a, a top purse that was worth over a hundred thousand, one hundred thirty thousand dollars. It included a boat. Uh, uh, they gave away three boats, uh, great Ranger boats, uh, to, to three anglers. And I look at that, and, and I know you're not going to say this again. Maybe you'll thank me again for bringing it up. But they give you these boats. Don't they realize you, you get, if you didn't have a boat, you wouldn't be in the tournament to begin with? Do you ever look at that and say, I don't need a boat. Give me the money. Well, I don't think the prize pool would be as big if they didn't, if they gave you cash because, uh, you know, obviously part of that check is based on the retail value of a Ranger boat. Sure. So they're able to, uh, you know, they're able to give you that boat, which they obviously have a manufacturing price for it. And it's kind of a everybody wins scenario. 
Yeah, it, it is. I, I just I look at it. <laughs> I don't know if you ever get jaded enough to say, I've won so many prizes. Because I've talked to guys that have won three, four boats in their career, you know? And they, yeah. oh, okay, wow. They don't say, that's fantastic. I really need another boat. They're thinking in the back of their mind, oh, great. Now I've got another boat to sell. More work for me to do. It's, it's tough, but I do understand the way it works. But I think we're crawling back towards having bigger prizes in the walleye game. Heck yeah, let's do it. Yeah, for sure. How could you complain about that? No problem at all. Uh, I, I, I think it's absolutely wonderful. Well, was uh, was Next Bite able to get their cameras in and watch any of the any of the fishing action uh, for future broadcasts, or does that all fall on NWT's shoulders? No, the National Wildlife Tour uh, did that Careco. So they had, had a camera guy on day two and three, and that should be a really fun episode to watch. Um, you know, the beauty of this is I've already done two episodes with the next bite explaining exactly how to do what we were doing. And um, and you'll see my wholehearted, like, smiling, laughing reaction of my favorite way to catch big walleyes. So uh, if you're looking for those episodes, the one is on Fort Peck. That was from two years ago. And Fort Peck Walleyes with me, you could search that. And then uh, the other one was with Gary Parsons. I was a co-host, and that was on Lake Mille Lacs. And I think that was 2019. Excellent. Yeah, we'll have everybody look for that. Uh, we'll direct everybody to see uh, see the next bite on, uh, like I said, Discovery, CBS Sports, World Fishing Network, NBC Sports Chicago, Wild TV. You guys are all over the place. Uh, look for that. And it's important that everybody knows to go and look for John Hoyer Fishing. Uh, you can follow you on Facebook, follow you on YouTube, right? Uh, I don't have a lot of presence on YouTube, you know, other than the next bite. So, right, right, so no, uh, the no, Instagram, the next, the next bite, of course, and uh, um, your your website uh, is johnhoyerfishing.com, if I remember right. Yep, I got it right. Excellent. Not bad for an old guy. Super. Well, it's wonderful. We'll look at everything you do, John. In addition to being a uh, a great angler in in a number of species. Uh, you're a great instructor. You're a nice guy. You do a great job presenting. You obviously love the sport. You love your fans. I, I enjoy watching you so very much. Can't wait to have you on again. I think we'll do a show real soon and talk about uh, more sonar. And you've got you've got your handle on, on that real well. And we can talk about that. I hope to have you back soon. And uh, and I'll stay by my email, waiting for an email to come, asking me to head up to Minnesota in the spring for you to take me out and teach me some walleyes in the boat. Heck yeah, let's do it. How, how's that for how's that for being put under the gun? Sure. Oh man, I like fishing. <laughs> sure, I, I kind of figured you did. Excellent, John Hoyer. Put that down. John Hoyer likes fishing. I'd like fishing too if I was one tenth as good as he was. He is <laughs> John Hoyer. He is about as good as they come. John, God bless. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Steve. Take care, John Hoyer, NWT Walleye Champion. All around great fisherman, all around great guy. Thanks for being with us. Well, that wraps up this week's edition of the We Fish ASA podcast, the best time fishing show on the radio or the internet in the entire USA. I'd like to thank today's guest, Dan Jonathan from St. Croix, Mark McGuire from Major League Fishing's Toyota Division. He is the tournament director. Tough job. He does it really well. I have visited with John Hoyer. 
Love that guy. Excellent fisherman. Great guy. Great teacher. Check him out on the next bite. Check him out on the tournament tournament trail. You'll see him. Usually see him up there on the on the stand uh, with a big trophy in his hand. Big trophy and a big check. John Hoyer. Very cool. I want to thank our sponsors, St. Croix, the best rods on earth. Calcutta, makers of a lot of products that fit your fishing lifestyle and passion in Daiwa. We got your bass covered. They do. Daiwa Reels. Remember that We Fish ASA presents a new episode of our one-hour podcast every week, available everywhere you get your podcasts. Don't forget to check out our website, wefishasa.com. If you like what you hear, please let us know if there's something you'd like to hear us talk about or someone we ought to have on the show. Let us know that, too. I'm Steve Surley. My partner is Dave Kranz. We'll see you next week. Now, let's go fishing. I'm professional angler Kevin Van Dam, and people always ask me, what's the best and easiest way to catch fish? Well, that's simple. Keep our waterways clean and free of litter. You know, tossing your worn out lures in the lake is not a winning move. Pitch them in the trash. Do your part and join me. Visit KeepAmericaFishing.org and pledge to pitch it.